0: Welcome to X's and O's NBA Breakdown, the podcast where we take a deeper look into the teams, coaches, and trends of the NBA. I'm your host, Coach Mark Tinklenberg. It's time to settle in and enjoy as we talk about the league.
1: Hey, hoopeds, we appreciate you listening to this episode of X's and O's NBA Breakdown. Be sure to check out these other NBA pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Cavaliers Central, Grizz and Grind, 305 Culture, Nuck You Buck, Hashtag Lakers, Blazing the Path, Motor City Hoops, Spanning the Spurs, and the LA Hoops Pod. Plus our coaching-focused podcasts, Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, The Coachmaze.com Podcast, Players Court, and Bleachers and Boards. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoop Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Suckle, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA.
0: Welcome to X's and O's NBA Breakdown. I'm your host, Mark Tinklenberg. I'm here with my co-hosts, Mike Haringa and Zach Walker. This week, we have a special guest, Nate Axelrod. But before we get started, I want to take a second and remind you guys to add us on Twitter and Instagram at X underscore breakdown and subscribe and listen to our pod while giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Every review you guys give us means the world to us, so please continue to do that. Uh, This episode is actually sponsored by a company called Cohatch. It is co-working and meeting spaces. Currently, there are five locations in Columbus. And coming in 2021, there will be one at Ohio State University and in Dublin. And they are also coming to Cincinnati, Indy, and Cleveland. Um, our good friend Stacy Holland, who works for the company, allowed us access to a podcast room here this week. And we are really excited to get started. So here we are. This is episode four. I got um, a former player of mine who is now a current head coach at Ohio Wesleyan with us. His name is Nate Axelrod. And Nate and I have known each other for about, what, 12 years or so? It's been about 14 years. 14 years. Um, And Nate is, we're going to get into all his accolades and everything he was able to accomplish as a player. Um, But I met Nate when he was in seventh grade going into eighth grade. At actually one of our basketball camps and Nate was about five foot even at the time
2: definitely the smallest kid in the camp yeah by definitely.
0: far, <laughs> by far. <laughs> um, but he always stood out to me and, and all of us coaches because even though he was the smallest he was winning all of the competitions that we had at camp and his skill level was always so much higher than everybody else's even though he was the size of most of our second and third graders and he was a seventh grader and that is no disrespect (laughs) that is just the cold hard truth (laughs) um so i've known him since then i've started training him then starting that summer i started working with him and i'm gonna let him kind of talk about like how we met and what that looked like and and just kind of our past and go from there
2: yeah so it was really cool the first time i met uh, Tank, you know, I, I met him at a camp, um, and he actually knew my brother from going to high school with him, and that's kind of how our connection sparked, and just getting to know him through the camp, I thought he was the funniest dude in the world, <laughs> and I'm not just trying to hype him up right now, he would crack jokes yes. in between drills and everything, and... <clears throat>
3: not having a bigger head than he (laughs) has
2: but that that's my second point he has a huge head (laughs) Um, but no he he made basketball really fun and you know ever since then i started training with him after that camp and you know it became a habit every single summer next thing you know he's coaching me in high school next thing you know he's training me in the summers in college and next thing you know we're Still best friends, uh, talking about coaching, school basketball all the time.
0: Yeah, we still work out in the summers to this day. Not on the basketball court no. now. Now we hit uh, sand volleyball pits and and Kauffman Stadium steps.
2: Yeah, some of those workouts were killer this past summer. Yeah, that was it was fun. That was fun. It was fun, so, it was fun joining so, Seth Fuller too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Shout out to Seth. Uh, so we'll we'll talk a little bit about like what that skill development was like later in the show. Um, but let's kind of walk through um, your career, and, and, and Mike and Zach are going to jump in with some, some questions and, and like what that looks like for college players and, and kind of how your journey worked.
2: Yeah. So I, I graduated high school in 2014 from Dublin, Coffman. Um, after that, I decided I wanted to play in college at Ohio Wesleyan University, um, about 20 minutes away up in Delaware. Um, and it, one of the best decisions of my life, no doubt. Um, I came into a program where they gave the point guard a ton of responsibility. And, you know, being a freshman, I honestly didn't expect to come in and compete for playing time uh, as much as I did. Uh, And next thing you know, I'm starting. I started every game throughout my career, ended up as National Freshman of the Year. My freshman year, my sophomore year, we made the Sweet 16. I was second team All-American. My junior year, we won another conference title, was another All-American. My senior year, kind of finished it out as National Player of the Year. So it was kind of like a, a fairy tale of a, of a college basketball D3 career.
4: Yeah, I, uh, you know, sort of kept track of you in high school, coming to Mark's Games and kind of watching that. And uh, as you went on to college, I just, you know, I kept sort of, I kept up on you from afar. Tell me about that freshman year and what that looked like, maybe the differences from high school, right, and really sort of um, honing your craft and what it took at at that next level to, to make that jump and then getting that freshman of the year. Tell me, what were some of the differences for you? Yeah, so I think one of the things that
2: prepared me really well for playing in college was how good the program at Kaufman was, um, you know, I, I averaged nine points a game as a senior in high school, but I was also sharing point guard responsibilities with Seth Fuller, who went D1 and played at Elon, and C.J. Saunders, who had some D2 offers, but is playing football at Ohio State. So every practice at Kaufman was like a war between us trying to compete for playing time. So I think that prepared me really well. And then, too, the college game, you know, I came into a system where we had a ton of great shooters around me, so it made it really easy for me to get in the paint and use my quickness, whether it was finishing at the rim or driving and kicking, getting easy assists. So those those things, I think, really helped me prepare um, and set me up for the success as a freshman. Another, you know, funny story is at the start of my freshman year, Coach DeWitt, our head coach, gave us um, – these goal sheets and we had to write what are what are our goals what are our team goals for the year and i remember talking to my dad about it and like hey what what should my goals be and one of the goals i wrote was i want to be ncac newcomer of the year freshman of the year in the conference he's like whoa i think that's a little i think that's a little too far Hmm. like you know i think we all just expect me hey i'd be happy if i got minutes maybe scored 10 points a game something like that and, you know, as games got on, I kept developing and getting better. Um, and next thing you know, it was National Rookie of the Year, which I didn't even know the award existed <laughs> until my dad texted me about it. So that was really exciting. So I couldn't be happier with that freshman year. And, and also helping our team, you know, win its first conf- regular season conference title since, you know, the 80s. It, it was unbelievable.
0: And I'm going to jump in on that. <clears throat> Something else as a coach. Uh, coaching you in high school, the difference that I think helped you your freshman year was, for whatever reason in high school, be, it had to be based on the spacing and stuff like that in high school and college. You never got foul calls. You didn't get any foul calls. I mean, we were always screaming at the refs as you got pummeled, and they wouldn't call it. And they said, oh, he's if he's going to go in there, he's got to finish. If he's going to go in there, he's got to yeah. finish, whatever. Well, you got to the college level, and everything's more spaced out because you got more shooters. You got bigger guys. You know, your fours and fives are setting ball screens and they're popping. So now you have – more space to work with. And now the refs are isolated on you and the defender. And so now it's an easier call. And you made a living at the free throw line from day one to when you graduated because of that spacing. And so that also is the difference between, you know, high school and
2: college. Right. And and to add on to that, I think another big difference is, you know, in, in terms of practicing and playing in games, you're playing against 22, 23 year old grown men, as opposed to maybe a 16-year-old JV player in practice sometimes. So then especially when you're in the games, you know you have to be strong, you have to get in the weight room, you have to lift a lot and make sure your body's ready. So when you take that contact, I think it, it for me in the high school level, I would take the contact and I wasn't as strong, so I would fall back a little bit as opposed to going through the contact and finishing.
3: Yeah. And, you know, I started my my morning this morning as we were prepping for this and it was was coming up with some questions to ask you. And I got to start my morning watching some old highlights of of your senior year at college. And it brought me back and just how you killed on the floor. But it brought me back to an old story, how we first met, which was really funny. As I thought about it It was Tink, I think we were probably playing Xbox or doing something. It was like, I got to run over to Kaufman. I got this, this young kid that I'm, I'm training. His name's Nate. Uh, I'm going to run through some drills and I'm like, Hey, I'm trying to get into shape, get my basketball shape back. Why don't you run through the drills with me too? I'll, I'll run it like we're doing it. You know, I'll help out where I can. And got there, saw this, this young kid, (laughs) (laughs) you know, five foot nothing, eighth grader. And it's like, Oh, this would be interesting. Yeah. Well, obviously this kid's going to really need some help and I, I can try to help where I can, (laughs) And I remember we started doing some three-point drills, and um, he wasn't missing. Uh, he wasn't missing. And I was one for 13, one for 15, something like that, and realized that I was out of my league, and I was 25, and you were in eighth grade, and um, I decided to fake a old knee injury and sit out and watch the rest As of the As we've
0: said, you need to come out You need of to come out to again. I had to take right. myself
3: out of the game. That's what I had to do. Um But watching those videos just really brought me back, and I started laughing about that. But one of my questions I thought of is, you have a favorite game, favorite moment from your college career that really sticks out to you at all.
2: Yeah, so my senior year, um, we – I have two favorite games, okay? So my senior year, we were in the conference semifinals – um, against Worcester, historically great program. Absolutely. Um, and one of my teammates just went off that game. He had 44 points, hit 11 threes. And honestly, it was one of my worst games as a player. I think it was like three for 16 shooting, five for 16, something like that. Um, but in crunch time, you know, I was still able to focus. And I had a layup, to, an and one layup to tie the game, send it to overtime. Then the game gets into overtime. There's about 10 seconds left. I take the ball full length of the court, make a game-winning layup mm. to, to win and send us in the conference championship. Nice. So that's one of my favorite moments. My, other, my favorite game, so we made the Sweet 16 my sophomore year. Um, we played Benedictine out in Chicago. And they were undefeated, um, ended up making it to the national title game. So, spoiler alert, they beat us. <laughs> <laughs> but that was kind of like my coming out party. You know, I I had 27 points, nine assists, played incredible on a huge stage, sold out crowd. Um, and obviously, it sucks losing, right? It sucks. But at the same time, I was really proud of myself that I was able to translate all the work that, you know, I put into my drills and training with Tink and put that on one of the biggest stages I possibly could have played on. So I think that's something I was really proud of at the time.
0: Nice. And that leads directly into our next question, which I know the answer to, but I want the viewers to be able to hear. Um, And this is asking kind of just how were you able to improve? You know, I saw your development up close and personal every year and I watched and And I remember picking you up at 5 o'clock in the morning and going to Lifetime and showing you how to lift weights for the first time when you were going to be a freshman in high school and doing that for three months and watching you put on like 12 pounds or 13 pounds of some muscle and developing and then continue training and working and, and kind of breaking down your shot. I mean, I remember doing all of those things with you. And the interesting part about it that I know you'll hit on is that we did that. All the way through your senior year in college. I remember you came back your senior year in college. And at that point, you were a grown man. And you kind of challenged me and said, hey, I need more. I need more. Like, we've done all this really good stuff, but I'm not satisfied. I need more. So I was like, oh, okay, so here we go. <laughs> so this is this is this is where we're working, all right. But I remember step one. Even when you came back, you took a couple of weeks off, and you were lifting heavy, and you came back, and we broke down your shot. We started at square one, and then when mm-hmm. the, and then we started working, and and then we started doing your workouts based on your offensive philosophy in college. You know, mm-hmm. what do you do in games? What's your system? Okay, well now let's go demo that on the floor. And let's get you as many reps as possible in those scenarios so that when it happens, mm-hmm. it's just instinct. It's not it's not some trained move. It's just instinctual because you've done it a 100 times already. Mm-hmm. So um, continue on that.
2: Yeah, I, I think there's a few things with that. And a lot of it, it number one, it's got to be consistent effort. You know, those results, that stuff. It took me probably five or six years to get the results I actually wanted, you know, being an All-American at the D3 level. You know, I didn't see those results in high school. I had to keep doing it every single day throughout the summer, throughout the school year. Um, I think that's the biggest thing, Two, I, I was a perfectionist. Like, you know it from working out with me. And I would get down on myself about little things that just have – I got to make them perfect. Yep. They have to be spot on. Um, And, you know, I I think it's really hard to improve year after year. And especially as you become successful, it's hard to improve because the room for improvement is so much smaller. And, you know, the things that I think stood out to me with that is you have to compare yourself to yourself. You can't compare yourself to other people and where they're at, you know, especially over the summers and stuff. With my shot, we said, hey, what's wrong with your shot? How can we fix it? And we worked on the shot. Oh, ball handling. What moves can we do to, you know, put you in the flow of your offense and make it game-like? Okay, keep comparing yourself to yourself with that stuff. And I think that's the biggest thing, especially now with social media being so big. It's hard to not compare yourself to other people with seeing all that stuff every single day. And, you know, if you can look in the mirror and be honest with yourself – um, whether it's something you're doing great at, something you need to improve, and then putting it to action, I think that's what
4: goes a long way. Yeah, and we've we've talked about that in our in our other episodes, right? We talked to Jack a couple weeks ago, and how you know as he's he's doing some coaching and looking at some of that, and as you're now coaching, when you think back on some of those those developmental drills that you had, right? We talk about breaking down sort of the fundamentals, getting your left hand dribble, getting your right hand dribble and things like that. But then, you know, as you're coaching now, how do you work with your players to, to say, okay, finding those details, like is my elbow in all the way? What is, is something going on? You know, at uh, NBA Breakdown here, right? We're, we're watching games all the time. And some of the conversations that we've had and some of the best players that we've ever seen go and they get better and better. I was just having a conversation with a coworker about Derrick Rose, mm. right? And he came into the league on springs. That guy would dunk over everybody. And the question was, what, are, what is his skill level when he loses that athleticism? You know, it's one of the reasons LeBron is still incredibly athletic, but he's adding more and more. Kobe did the same thing, adding more and more to his game. Because they're working on those details, those drills that make it second nature. And now that you've gone into coaching and you have this decade of experience kind of breaking down your own game and finding all of those details, how does that look with you and your team now and, and kind of with, with those, with those kids and that team and, and working with them? Yeah, I think the biggest thing with our guys, number
2: one, I try to make our skill sessions fun, okay? Mm-hmm. Because if it's not fun, they're not going to enjoy it. They're going to hate me as a coach. Did
4: Tink do that with you?
2: Well, one hundred percent. He did. He did not pay me to say that either. It was. It was fun, and that's why I kept going back to to work out with him. Um, so that's the big thing. You got to make it fun so the kids are engaged. Um, two, you got to hold them accountable. So I think going back to your example of keeping an elbow in, once you see that air, that's when you have to correct it. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't correct it, well, then that elbow is just going to keep going further and further out. So, you got to correct it on the spot. And sometimes it's repetitive. You're stopping every single rep, right? So, trying to just correct it at the right time, I think, is big. Um, And three, like, I try to get my hands dirty with it. Like, I... Go in there. I play one on one with their guys. Mm-hmm. Like cause one, I think it's fun for me. I think they enjoy the competition aspect of it, and you know, it it's just honestly, it's fun. Like it, it's competing and helps them become better defenders, finding ways for them to score. You know, in the big things with skill development, I think your points with Derrick Rose and LeBron are awesome. I think a big thing I emphasize with skill development with our guys is you should really focus on trying to excel at your strengths make your s- strengths incredible you know kobe has a deadly mid-range fadeaway jumper right michael had the same thing mm-hmm. all right lebron has that little step back where he looks at the ball and then mm-hmm. boom money right so excel at those strengths and then those weaknesses right if you're a younger kid and you can't drive with your left hand you got to be a fit sufficient enough where If I need to drive with my left hand, I can drive with my left hand. It's the counter, yep. Right? So, you got to excel at those strengths and make your weaknesses sufficient enough. Because I think that's the biggest thing with skill development. Right now, too many guys, in my opinion, are trying to become way too Mm well-rounded. And it takes away from their
4: uh, potential because their strengths aren't where they could be. A little bit of of jack-of-all-trades, master of none, right? Get really good at something... Have your go-to, and then that other stuff. As as Mark was saying, that other stuff is your counter. You got to be good enough, right? Yeah, perfect. There, I like that.
2: Yeah, there's a there's a Bruce Lee quote that I actually sent our guys last week, and it it's something along the lines of, "I fear a man who has practiced ten thousand kicks as opposed to." a man who has practiced 10,000 different kicks. And don't mm. quote me because I don't know if that's 100% accurate. No, sure. But along the line of doing one thing 10,000 times, that's way better than doing 10,000 different and that, things. And that
0: is even all the way at the NBA level, right? I mean, there are systems in place and, and ways that you fit into a system. And so that trickles down to every level. That goes to college and that goes to high school and, you know, your job sometimes is not to be a driver on a team. Well, you can go down every NBA team and you can pick out the guys. This guy's job is to not drive. His job is to space the floor and shoot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> His job is to defend the other team's best player, whatever it might be. Whatever your job is, whatever your role is, go be great at that, right? And, and sometimes it's not even offensively minded. Sometimes it is. Like in your case, you were you ran the show it was everybody was at your mercy but not everybody on your team needed to do that right some mm-hmm. guys needed to be great screeners great poppers screen and pops some guys needed to be great crashers of the glass on both ends some guys <laughs> needed to be guys that just ran the floor really hard to create that transition so that you had the opportunity right some guys had to be 3 and D Right. And some guys are slashers, and some guys are really good cutters. There are so many opportunities for kids at the college and high school, and even and and guys at the professional level, to find their niche. And I think we get lost a lot with guys that try to do everything. Right. And I, it, I think that's what you're hitting it, on.
2: Right. And I think the best example I can give, and one I love this because Duncan Robinson is came from Division Three. Yeah, my boy. He Duncan Robinson, your boy, is. A 46% catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. Yep. That's how he makes a living in the NBA, all right? The Heat don't even make the NBA Finals if Duncan Robinson never gets off from right. the three-point yeah. line. So he's found a way to specialize shooting threes and making a living after coming from the Division three level, which is incredible. Yep.
3: I'm going to gonna, gonna kind of go back to that skill development thing. And this keeps popping up in the last couple episodes where obviously talking about the physical health and everything like that, I would like to visit on that mental health. You're having a season right now where kind of up in the air for you guys as far as when's the start date, people being sent home. How are you keeping your players mentally ready, not just physically ready, during a a year where everything's kind of different, kind of weird, maybe some down, some depression here and there? 2020 has been a lot for everybody. How yeah. are you keeping those players mentally tough, too?
2: Yeah, so our guys are actually on break right now. They're they're coming back middle of January. So it's such a different year. You know, everything is up in the air. It always has been up in the air this, this past year. Um, you know, ways we're staying involved, we're talking to our guys just about every day. You know, making sure, hey, how are things going? How's your family doing? You still stayed on top of basketball stuff anything I should be worried about as a coach. Like if you feel, feel free to talk to me if you need it, yeah. you know? Um, and, you know, while our guys were on campus and we were practicing, you know, we were trying to, you know, control what we can control. Um, and I think that's the big thing. You know, you got to focus on the present. You can't look, Hey, what's the season going to look like three months from now? Right. right? You got to right. focus on, all right, today at practice. And you got to see the bigger picture too. Okay. So focusing on, okay, this little break and us not being able to play, this can be a good thing, right? We can focus on our skill development. We can get stronger, right? Especially as a team where we have some really good young guys, right? It can help get those young guys ready for when we are playing. And and just like, you know, you saw it with the Big Ten and football, you you never know when, one, you never know when things can get taken away, as we saw last spring. But with Big Ten and football, you never know when they can come back, too. So you got to be prepared either way.
4: Well, and I was going to... As you were saying that, I was going to say that that has a lot to do with the mindset of the staff, right? I mean, you have the ability to turn these negatives into a positive. Do you see this moment in time, you specifically as the coach, as something that you can or have found the ability to build on? Because it's tough for all of us, right? Those kids want to play. Right. They want to play. Um, but figuring out and, and helping them learn from this and grow from this, have you seen those opportunities as well? just that that they're sort of taking ownership of that? Yeah, definitely. I think
2: I think honestly everything I've, I'm huge into the skill development. I think that I've built great relationships with our players this fall, specifically our new guys because they're coming into college. they don't know what to expect. It, that's been my way of you know building relationships with them and You know, using that as a fun time, right? Normally on a college campus, you get so much social interaction, but okay, you're kind of locked in a dorm room. You can't go anywhere without a mask and all that stuff. So, hey, why not use the basketball stuff as, this is my fun time. This is where I can interact with people on a a personal basis. So, I I think that's been a big thing.
0: Excellent. (laughs) So we are going to take a quick break, and we are going to come back and finish our conversation with Nate Axelrod. Um, this has been some really good stuff. We're going to hit on some last uh, questions about Nate's career and some other things he's um, doing coaching-wise, and then we're going to talk a little NBA to finish. Uh, again, we want to say thank you to the company, Cohatch, for sponsoring us and letting us into their pod room this week. And uh, we'll see you guys here in just a sec.
1: Hey hoop heads. we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game, don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com, spelled A-R-Y-S-E, and use the code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off the future of performance. That's A-R-Y-S-E.com with promo code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off.
0: Welcome back to X's and O's NBA Breakdown. I'm your host, Mark Tinklenberg. I'm here with my co-hosts Mike Haringa and Zach Walker, and we're here with our guest Nate Axelrod, the current assistant coach at Ohio Wesleyan. I apologize; I said head coach. It just slipped off my tongue earlier in the episode. But the head assistant coach for Ohio Wesleyan College uh, or is it University, University, University. So we got a couple things going on here. <laughs> um, so we're going to continue our conversation and just kind of cap off Nate's career. Nate won Freshman of the Year Award as we talked about, um, which is a big deal because we didn't hit on it, but something that you reminded me of was that actually Duncan Robinson, who we talked about earlier, won it the year before you.
2: He did, yeah. So Duncan Robinson won it the year before me, then gets a full ride to Michigan. Uh, me being 5'7 and not super athletic, I didn't pick up any D1 offers. <laughs> but
0: I'm glad I stuck at but the you're D3 glad level. it, but you guys stuck it out. So stuck it off the D3 level, had an incredible career. Um, really changed the landscape of Ohio Wesleyan basketball uh, in terms of current times and where they were at and, and now where they're headed. Um, and senior year, you end up winning the Jostens Award, uh, which is basically the player of the year in the country. And I'm going to let you kind of talk about what that experience was like. Obviously, a huge award to be recognized as the best Division three college basketball player at in the country across all the universities and, and everything like that. So, um, I don't know anything about that. So, I'm going to let you <laughs> hit on it and talk about what that was like.
2: Yeah. So, the, the Jostens Award, to clarify, it's like they they call it like the Heisman of D3 basketball. So, it's like a huge trophy. Um where is the trophy right now? The trophy right now is in Mike DeWitt, our head coach's office. Perfect. Nice. Yeah. So he sees it every single day. Perfect. I see it every single day. A good day. reminder. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so the award, it's based on obviously playing ability, um, academics are involved, and same with community service. So kind of all three of those things are big, especially being in, in the D3 world. So I'm honestly still flabbergasted that I won that award. And it's incredible. Um, it was an incredible experience. I They flew us down to Salem, Virginia, where the Final Four was. Um, had to give a speech, had a ceremony. There was a women's winner, too, so I got to meet her. Um, her name's Caitlin Reed. She played at NYU um, in New York City. So, awesome experience. Got to meet a ton of cool people. Um, and then that same weekend, they had the Final Four. And before the Final Four started, there was a D3 All-Star game where – you know, 20 seniors from all across the country got to play and, you know, talk about their experiences. We had some downtime where we could hang out. So, it was really cool meeting, you know, some of the best D3 athletes ac- across the country. Yeah.
0: And that's going to kind of lead us into our next point. Your playing career created a resume kind of in itself. Um, you ended up just being one of the top Division three players, really... Uh, to ever play in Division three, to, to think about—I mean, to think about it quite honestly—when you look at your statistics and everything that came about, that really is the bottom line. That's incredible to think about. Because um, I played Division three basketball, and and I don't care what anybody says, Division three basketball players—there are a lot of Division three basketball players that would take a lot of Division one basketball players to the woodshed. <laughs> There's a lot of really good Division three basketball players out there. So to think that you know you had, quite frankly, one of the best careers. Of any Division Three player of all time is amazing, um, and we're going to kind of shift gears then. And how that resume has has done some stuff for your coaching?
3: Yeah, and I always get interested on you know point guard being the floor general, floor coach, uh, in game in game coach. On how you, kind of part two part question here, how you actually would balance the it's a great offensive game? How you balance a game and manage a game and saying. This is the time that I'm going to try to take over, or this is going to be the time that I step back, and I'm going to make sure that I'm getting my my rest of my team involved. And then leading into that, being that floor coach, that floor general, did that make that transition into coaching now a lot
2: easier? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it comes down to you know scouting and breaking down what the defense is doing. You know, when I was little, my dad would always tell me, "You have to take what the defense gives you." And he would say that so much that it would annoy me and get in my head all the time. But it's true. You know, you got to take what the defense gives you, whether it's, okay, they're giving me the drive. I got to drive. They're giving me the open three. I'll shoot the three. They're taking away, you know, my drive. I got to drive and kick, right? So you got to react to what the defense is doing. And a lot of that comes down to making decisions. And I think to your point, that's where it transfers over to, you know, coaching, right? You have to make those decisions and realize, okay, the other team is doing X, Y, and Z, how can our guys attack that, right? So the hardest part is then taking from what you know and teaching those younger guys, hey, the defense is playing this way, look for the drive here, look for the kick here, right? Um, And, you know, in terms of choosing when to take over the game and that stuff, you know, you watch LeBron, right? LeBron is incredible at this. The first quarter of a game, he rarely scores, Right. He feels it out, sees how the defense is playing, you know, says, hey, they're playing this way. I'm going to do this. Right. So you watch him, you're like, oh, he's not super aggressive. And it gets it makes fans really annoyed sometimes. But then as the game goes on, next thing you know, he is 30, 10 and 10 Mm -hmm. because he figures it out. Right. It's like a game of chess. You're reading all the pieces and kind of figuring out how you can attack. Absolutely.
0: That's perfect transition to. Kind of talking some MBA, and that's really what I was uh, anticipating you saying. Just kind of breaking down how guys at the at that MBA level, um, you know, we we talked a lot about Division three, Division one, and then on the show we break down MBA stuff. And the best in the world are also the very best at doing exactly what you just said. And LeBron is a freak, right? Let's call it what it is. The guy is an absolute freak of nature. Um, but he that's his specialty, right He he is he's ahead of the defense on every play. That's what makes him great. I heard something you know uh, about how he knows before a scouting report happens, he remembers stuff, from the last like four years that they played sets and actions and certain defenses and how they how they're going to be defending him that he basically a lot of times and Frank Vogel is a master of scouting reports from what we understand but a guy like that, it's what makes him so valuable to the team. I mean, he, he knows everything that's coming at him every time he comes down the floor. Does he make mistakes? Sure. Like, mistakes happen. But, and I think that's kind of what you were able to do too, watching your highlight film stuff, which guys, I, in this podcast, I'm just going to throw this out there. When you guys see what, uh, this guy was doing on a basketball floor, it's wow.
3: I'm gonna need you to go to YouTube. Yeah. I'm gonna need you to look up his name. <laughs> yep. Sit back and relax. Popcorn. Yeah. And enjoy. Yourself. Enjoy the show. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna need it's to do. It's
0: gonna be it's incredible. Yeah. And you were similarly in that boat. So let's kind of talk about some NBA stuff. Uh, who do you? Who's your favorite player? Let's start with that. Who do you enjoy watching and why?
2: Favorite player by far, LeBron James. Um, you know, I grew up a Cavs fan, so you know, I I'm sorry. hey i got my title in 2016 so i'm i'm sitting back and enjoying it um but he's just like you said he's so smart he knows he's two steps ahead of the defense you know it's funny like as a coach you know a lot of times coaches say hey don't jump to pass lebron jumps to pass that's a skill for him right he gets in the air. He says, oh, this guy might be open. If this guy's not open, I'm going to hit this guy. If that guy's not open, shoot, I might shoot it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> right. He's he's thinking two steps ahead.
0: I can still actually dunk it if I want <laughs> <Yeah>. to. <laughs> I'm still on the way up. <laughs>
2: yeah. So I, I think that's one of the, the nicest things, um, you know, watching him play. And, you know, he does so many things. It, it, at times it is frustrating as a fan when he doesn't take over games. But, like, the standard for him is so high. If he doesn't have 30-10-10 in a finals game, that's a bad game for him. Yeah.
4: Well, you know, we have this LeBron conversation all the time. And it's almost, well, of course it's hard to live up to Jordan, right? But you have those players, and, and Jordan sort of rewrote the script on some of that. My favorite player of all time is Magic Johnson, right? He could take over a game, but he was known for his passing and making the right decisions. It really wasn't until Jordan came along and won those titles where it was the best player always has to take the last shot and always has to make it. Kobe sort of uh, did that as well, right? He was the guy that wanted the ball in his hands. And one of the things that people get frustrated with LeBron about— And we talked about this in one of the last shows, right? Danny Green has a wide open three at the top of the key because it is the right basketball play. LeBron is being triple teamed at the rim, spins out to one of your jump passes, gets it to the right player for the right shot. But because he doesn't take the last shot or he doesn't do that, it, it's it suddenly he's not he doesn't have a killer instinct or he doesn't have this right and as a basketball guy does that count because I know for me I, I I mean my basketball story with you is I played a rec league game with you <laughs> and I told Mark I'm not guarding him I don't even want to be on the same side Was of the that floor as him rec league? I have yet to go back to that <laughs> <forever>. <laughs> but as even for me as a basketball guy I'm like no that's the right play that is the right play and that's got to be as as somebody that's got sort of your view of the court and him as your favorite player mm-hmm. that's got to be something that sort of lights you up inside making the right play right it's
2: like you said it's the right decision you know same thing with the way we coach our guys as long as they're making the right decision if the right decision is to shoot the ball shoot the ball if the right decision is to pass the ball Pass the ball, all right? And then it's our job as coaches to put them, put those guys in the situations in practice where they're practicing those shots, getting those reps, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, that does kind of annoy me a little bit. And I love LeBron so much that I'm going to defend him no matter what. Oh, sure. So. <laughs> sure, sure, sure.
3: So, LeBron being your best or favorite player to watch. Mm -hmm. Do you have one of those teams that, hey, when it's on, you can't help but at least check them out? Do you have a team that's kind of like your sleeper team that you enjoy watching?
2: Yeah. I'm going to add, actually, on to the favorite player thing. I love watching Chris Paul, too. And, you know, I tried to – He keeps coming up. He He keeps coming up. up. The bulldog. (laughs) (laughs) I tried to – honestly, when I was little, I tried to model my game after him. And, you know, him being a smaller guard, I think he's, what, six foot? You know, he controls the game so well. I made my parents get uh, NBA League Pass when I was, like, 10 mm-hmm. because I wanted to watch Hornets games. Like, yeah. who wants to watch Hornets games when they're 10? Right. You know? And it was just to see Chris Paul because he was running the show, taking them to the Western Conference Finals as a second-year player in the league. And
3: at 35, still doing yeah. great.
2: with Especially yeah. being a leader to that Thunder team with uh, – Shai Gilgis, Alexander and Schroeder. Team, they yeah. started three. <laughs> they started three point guards yeah. and still made it pretty far. Yeah. They, um, so I'm excited to see him with the Suns. Yeah. Um, you know, sleeper team. Definitely not the Cavs this year. Um, I love. Honestly, I I know they both made the finals. I love watching the Lakers. I love watching the Heat. You know, mm-hmm. one Coach Bolstra does a great job and somehow always finds a way to get those guys playing the right way towards the end of the year. You know, they took a bunch of guys with not much experience to the finals this year. That's pretty pretty impressive. Um, the Lakers, too, you know, you have star power, you have LeBron, you have AD. Um, it's it's like showtime again. Like, it's it's mm-hmm. fun to watch. Those games are entertaining.
0: I'll stay up for And them. we've talked about them a lot, but they are stacked.
2: Yeah, see, so this year's <laughs> going to be
3: even more so, right? And, additions yeah. free and
0: as we're recording, the headline just came across that Kyle Kuzma just signed a three-year extension, a, a valuable piece to that puzzle. The Lakers just... They just keep adding right now. Like you said, it's like showtime, dude. They're just <clears> – <throat> the pieces of the puzzle are really coming together for them. Is doing his thing. Yeah, yeah. They're, uh, that's going to be – and we want to give a shout-out okay. – not a shout-out, but we want to mention that you mentioned uh, Coach Spo for the Heat and that staff in general, what they just – what they do – uh, our guy, Chris, who you and I have both trained mm-hmm. with and against, and that's not fun either. So how <laughs> these guys felt about watching or playing with you is similar to how I felt playing against Chris every day. Mm-hmm. And, and to kind of piggyback off of what you've been talking about this whole time, just the mentality of the uh, of great players, and that's a guy that played in the NBA for seven years mm-hmm. and and made a a career out of it. And I was the head assistant for the Miami heat or first or second in line there. Um, and to watch him work out and be a part of that and be able to translate what he gave me and give it to you kind of down the line. And now you're giving it to the next and the next and the next, Mm -hmm. you know, he started all that to go back to your conversation about training. I didn't even know that that stuff existed until I started working out with him and watching him, break everything down, and the perfectionist side of it, as you said, this is younger players, college players, whoever is listening to this show, I just want you to understand that every single time that there was a workout, an NBA player, the best to do it in our high school in our, and, quite frankly, as a guard maybe in our area at the high school and college level, Chris Quinn shot like 90% or above in every single workout I ever did with him. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Now, to think... That we're talking hundreds of mid-range, hundreds of threes, NBA threes, floaters, moves, off the dribble, you know, step backs. And you name it, to think that in every single workout he shot 90% or above, and I'm not exaggerating. That's what separates you, right? I mean, right. And, and it was just every shot, every time he shot, it was the same. And I remember being in workouts with him, and I'd shoot like 70%, and I'd have the best day of my life and I'd still get run off the floor in and any shooting drill we did. It's it like, okay, how is this possible? Well,
2: <laughs> Yeah, to, to add on, like it's, it is the perfectionist thing. Um, you know, it's funny. There were days where I'd be in the gym and you miss a ton of shots and you start kicking balls and start yelling yeah. and screaming. Chris Quinn would do that too. Yep. You know, I remember you told me the same thing. You know, guys, if you're a guard under six feet and you want to play professional basketball anywhere around the world, Obviously, the NBA level, it's got to be a higher percentage. But anywhere around the world, you want to be a professional basketball player, and you're a six foot or smaller guard. You have to be shooting ninety to ninety five percent in workouts of game speed reps. Mm-hmm. That's how skilled you have it's to be. One hundred percent right. And it's so tough. It it's really tough. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know any other way to say it. Yeah, it, it's
0: ninety
4: yeah, yeah, <laughs> percent tough.
0: Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. It, it was just I just wanted to hit. It's just it was always masterful to watch you. And then him or him and then you guys work out. It was I was kind of the middleman. Right. And I just got to pass along that stuff. But you were so similar in how you did all that.
4: Well, it's it's interesting. And I wish I could remember who said it because it it came to me as you guys were talking about the the intentionality of what you're doing. Right. When you're running drills, you are doing it intentionally. And the phrase is practice does not make perfect perfect practice makes perfect right and being intentional with your drills being intentional with what you're doing and again as a as a sort of third party to your success through mark you know i followed you from afar and he would tell me this kid is working he's doing the work he's doing it right and he's coming back and he has implemented the things that we've talked about and found Holes in his own game that he's bringing to me to say, hey, let's work on this. And as we're talking to those kids out there that are looking to take that next step, and what can I do, right? The intentionality of those drills and practice and things like that.
2: Right. I think the intentionality is the biggest piece. You know, honestly, you're wasting your time if you're doing drills that aren't going to translate to games. You know, it's it's really. I think that's the hardest part for guys is guys can get in the gym and be there for two hours, but translating what you're doing in those drills, whether it's coming off a ball screen, doing a ball handling move, if you're not translating it to a game, you're wasting time, right? So I think that's where, you know, watching film and breaking down, hey, how do I make this decision? When? When's it the right time to drive and kick? When's it the right time to finish at the rim? You know, I think that's the biggest piece and where guys can take that next step as right. players in, in terms of translating stuff.
3: All right, Nate, I got to ask a question. Let's hear it. NBA prediction: Lakers repeat. What are you feeling?
2: Lakers in five.
0: <laughs> Doesn't
3: matter
2: who. There it is. Lakers in five. That's
0: a fact, boy. Okay. A fact. I
3: had to ask the question.
0: That's a fact. Lakers in five.
3: Question? My Pacers are going to be in eighth or not make the playoffs. So I just. Gonna <laughs> <play>. <laughs>
0: gonna I
2: will. I'm going to add another story about Chris Quinn. Um, you know, he used to host a kids' camp in Dublin over the summers um, when he'd come back, and would always be at Kaufman. Yeah, that worked it. Um, Tink worked it. He requested me to be on his team right after that Kaufman camp, actually. Um, and one of the days I showed up probably an hour early. I'm weird. I have to show up everywhere like an hour early. Like I was here an hour early today, just sitting in my car. Um, but I get in the gym. Chris is the only one in there. He's doing these ball handling drills and he's the only one in the gym. Like it must've been break before, you know, between sessions. And he sees me standing there, you know, little five foot tall kid. He's like, Hey, Bubs, you want to jump in? Mm. I was like, huh? Mm. (laughs) I was nervous as heck. Yeah, I got in there, was trying my best. He was smoking me in these ball handling drills, like going twice the speed. Correcting me on my spin dribble, though. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I at least learned a few things. (laughs) But, you know, in terms of, one, you can see him as a great coach in the fact that you look at these NBA games, he's right next to Spolstra. Every single second, mm-hmm. you know, giving his input, whether Spolster's taking it or not. But that's a that's a big job for assistant coaches, providing the input. Um and too, just as a person, you know, he didn't have to take the time out to he, he's in the NBA, like making a ton of money in the NBA as a player and competing at the highest level. Why would he need to add a little seventh grader into his workout? But he did,
3: mm-hmm. you know, and
2: honestly, that's something that inspired me It, you know, it, it pushed me to be a better player. And same thing. I try to try to incorporate other guys into workouts and stuff.
3: And he's going to be phenomenal. You know, one of my favorite things is that even if it was an interview, I love seeing his name as being interviewed for the Pacers coach this this offseason, mm-hmm. um, just because I know in the next five years, whatever it's going to be, we're going to see him out there yeah. Coaching a team because his basketball mind is that sharp. Yeah. He's going to be
0: great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's going to do great things. And, and like you said, it's not going to be long till we see him as a head coach. Well, that's it. We got Lakers and fives as, as the prediction from Nate. Ooh. Um, Ooh. We do not disagree. I, I know Zach in his heart might want differently, but I know deep down he knows that it's probably Lakers and five. Um, so we're going to stick with that. Um, For this week's episode, guys, again, we want to say thank you to the company, Cohatch and Stacey Holland for her help getting us in here. Nate, we want to thank you for being here. Thanks, brother. Um, Thank you, Nate. We do have a a little thing before we leave, and that that is we break down with Mamba on three. That's All right, very good. So for X's and O's NBA Breakdown episode four, we thank you, and we will see you next time. Mamba on three. One, two, three.
4: Mamba. Mamba. Bye.
1: to get started.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of X's and O's NBA Breakdown. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please like, subscribe, or comment on any of our social media sites at X underscore breakdown. See you next week, and remember, Mamba on Tweet.